Hi, I'm Cura. I'm an award-winning author. I'm traditionally published and dabbling in self-publishing. I write mystery, magic and murder, and you'll find me at curacarpenter.com. Hi, I'm Nick Swidiker, an indie author and a reader and a writer of everything with magic, spaceships and romance. And you can find me at nickswhitaker.com. And I'm Matthew Danaher. I write short stories, help edit Andromeda Spaceways magazine and do a bit of stand-up comedy. You can find me at matthewdanaher.com. Kira Koto, um, welcome after somewhat of a break um, to. Oh, no, actually, I probably shouldn't say that because this isn't going to be the first episode. <laughs> All right, that's my first little editing moment. <laughs> okay, we're delighted to be joined today by Mandy Hager, who is a multi-award-winning author slash writer with a passion to promote the politics of love. You may also know her as the um, recently elected president of the New Zealand Society of Authors. And um, we're really delighted to be joined by you today, Mandy. What we normally do is, obviously, we'll, we'll, we go for our questions for you and have just a bit of a chit-chat around them. Um, and quite often use them as starting points to go off on tangents. Apparently, that's mainly my fault. Um, Good been... thing. <laughs> um, but I, I think we all do it, to be honest. So, um Mandy, um, you're someone who writes across genre, uh, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit, because you've written, um, you've definitely written works, I would say, were speculative fiction, as we would define it. They've got elements of science fiction and fantasy um, and things like that. But you've also written what would often be classed nowadays as literary fiction. And um, I was just wondering, what is your approach to genre? Are you a fan of the use of genre, or is it like a necessity, or... Would you rather just avoid it? I don't really think about it is the honest answer. I just get an idea and um, and chase it. And sometimes that means it's set in a um, imagined future. Sometimes it's set a long time in the past. It really it's it's more about the idea, and often it, often it's the weird ideas that are the ones that um, I've turned into speculative fiction, and that. The reason I do really like it is um, because it gives you a chance to actually look at human behaviour and the way that the kind of politics and things that are going on but in a slightly removed way so that you can re-explore it with new eyes. And so that's what draws me to it. But it, it really isn't a genre thing. And I, But I really hate that kind of um, literary snobbery about genre at the same time so um if it's better that i say i like genre then i will say it because um i love all i think a good book is a book good book no matter where it kind of gets stuck on the shelf so um yeah i guess that's my answer i just write the story that i can't get out of my head so i need to write it and it's interesting as well i think about how quite a lot of your fiction is kind of quite fitting um com- considering what's going on at the moment in the wider world as well with environmental changes and, and things like that. And um, we had Tim Jones on the podcast um, oh, yeah. last year and obviously he's written some climate fiction. Yeah. And yeah, it seems like there's a kind of growing audience for that, I think, for people trying to think about how we kind of deal with what's happening. Oh, I, I, and we're going to see more and more and more of it because it's becoming um, increasingly 
terrifying. And so for somebody who's a writer, the only way that we can process it is to write about it. So the um, book that I'm working on at the moment, which is um, a kind of domestic fiction, um, has got a character who's got climate change grief. And basically that's me. And it's that idea of how the hell do you kind of keep going in your normal life while you feel like the world is collapsing around you. And I've got little grandkids and that is like rubbing salt into the wound. So I think it's really, really important we write about that stuff. Yeah, this, this, I did um, a sort of two book series of speculative fiction, which I would call a, um, a political thriller, but it's set slightly in the future. For the same reason, I guess, that I'm drawn to writing about stuff that really, really worries me overall. And, um, and so I was, you know, I was taking something that was going on in New Zealand politics to a, a more kind of extreme place, but only placing it about 20 years in the future, but in order to explore what that would look like if we went down that route. So that's how I kind of approach whether it's going to be spec fiction or not what's most useful to get the point across that I want to make really. So it isn't just about having weird ideas then it is actually about sometimes about trying to make a point. Yeah they're all weird ideas um, <laughs> and actually I'm, I mean I guess in a way I'm always trying to make a point like I don't I, I'm driven to write because I have these big things in my head that really I think that we need to discuss and um, and so I think um, fiction is an amazing way of exploring real life problems and putting ideas across that maybe people haven't thought about or or enabling people to feel empathy for something that they haven't experienced. So I think fiction is incredibly powerful for that. That's what I love about it, kind of diving into somebody's head and exploring that. That's an interesting point about the empathy side of things, isn't it? It's, I've had some interesting stories with people who have read um, novels where the major character may be a refugee for instance and uh you know you can really see how it's changed their thinking about people like that because they've Absolutely. actually got an understanding of them yeah i mean i think that when as readers we're either reading to kind of see into a world that we don't know to think you know to explore it and think about it but we're also kind of reading to see ourselves and to think about how that reflects who we are as a person or how you know, how we would cope in a situation. And most of my books are for um, young adults. So that's particularly important because it kind of gives them a rehearsal in a way of things that they might approach in their life um, in a safe way. So I've, I've been able to write about issues like um, suicide and um, violence but in a way that um, allows people to explore it safely. And, um, and I guess now, underlying everything, when we go back to that climate change discussion, I think um, resilience, when I'd write for young people, will now be the big thing that will always be in the back of my mind, because it feels like that is the thing that we now need to do for young people is give them models for how they can survive this bloody mess. Absolutely. God, it's depressing, isn't it? Sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's me. It's true, it's true though. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, talking of uh, current problems, um, it's, it's a well-known fact that creatives in New Zealand of any type, um, probably writers as, me as much as any others, um, really struggle to make a living from, from their work, from our work. And um, obviously at the moment, certainly last year, uh, the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment has been conducting a 
sort of public consultation on copyright and intellectual property and, and its relationship to um, Google and, and things like that. I know there's been some disquiet recently about the most recent stuff, guidance to come out from MB around that. And it seems to be that they're using the argument that creatives don't make a living from from their work to say, well, we shouldn't worry too much about enabling them to. And, you know, we, sh we should enable this kind of transfer of, um, it, of property, essentially, from struggling writers to uh, multi-billion dollar tech companies. Um, so I was just wondering what your thoughts are around that. Oh, well, I totally agree with you. Um, I'm I'm really concerned about it. Uh, I stepped into the role of NZSA president as this was unfolding, so it was an incredibly um, steep learning curve for me. But I I was pretty shocked when I wrote read that issues paper that they had written, and they were making statements like, "Well, people are going to write anyway because it's the thing they like to do, and they don't need to be paid for it." And it, I just actually cannot understand how somebody who's tasked supposedly with increasing the well-being of writers can be talking about us giving away our rights. And actually, it's not just that paper. It's actually happening in a lot of other areas too. We have the um, public lending right, which is people who are published and have books and libraries. Um, there's a count every year and you get a certain amount if you've got over so many copies. That hasn't been increased for over 10 years and we've been trying to get that changed. And of course, there's now you know, a lot of electronic books being loaned out as well. And we're trying to get those put on and educational rights for people that work, you know, write for kids in schools. And again, it's been a real uphill battle and we're not, we're not winning it at the moment. There's all these exceptions that everybody keeps slamming on us. There was another one recently, and they sound great when you just hear of them on the surface. We recently um, signed something called the Marrakesh Treaty, mm -hmm. which um, opens up um, more exceptions around um, material for disabled um, readers. And so currently, if I publish a book, um, part of my contract says that I can I give a copy of that to the Blind Foundation and several other libraries for free if they want it. Um, and that's fine, and I don't have a problem with that at all. And I don't have a problem with the Marrakesh Treaty, which has opened up the um, kind of range of extensions, potentially for something like a quarter of New Zealanders. Um, but then they took out the clause that said that um, creative people should be compensated for that. And I just cannot understand that. So I feel like we're getting attacked from all areas. And it's deeply, deeply disappointing when, um, you know, I think when the government changed, everybody thought, yay, finally, we're going to get some movement on this. And actually, it feels like it's worse. And it's so hard to go in there and, um, try and talk to people who seem to be totally in the pocket of big tech. So we are very worried and um, I know a number of other organisations are as well, not just not just kind of literature organisations mm. but music and film and many, many creative organisations are deeply concerned at the moment. That's it, I'm, I'm involved um, in, the, in the living wage movement and it, I do wonder sometimes whether there needs to be a living wage for creatives. I wish there was. I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember in the 1970s where they actually had schemes for people um, mm. who 
got more than the dolls so that they could actually work on their creative projects. And it was amazing. And we had, mm. you know, if you look back on it, that was the time when a lot of real um, innovative stuff happened that, that really defined who we were artistically as opposed to just importing mainly um, British um, culture. So, you know, when you do that, when you enable people and you free them up, you get amazing results. So um, it's very short-sighted and it's deeply disappointing and concerning. Maybe my next question follows on from that quite nicely then, really, which is um, obviously you're, you're new president of the NZSA. Um, what role do you see for, for the Society of Authors and similar organisations going forward, um, for instance, around campaigning um, versus like individual advocacy for members? Uh, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot to try and challenge there. And, and NZSA is one of the foremost organisations of writers, I would say, in New Zealand, probably yourselves and um, Writers Guild yeah, and uh, in screenwriting. And um, I just wonder whether, you know, are there plans for the society to actually, I mean, I know you're already doing some stuff, but what are the plans in terms of campaigning around things like this? Well, um, we've actually, uh, last year, they set up a coalition of books, which, was a, which is a whole lot of organisations. So that's the um, Publishers Association, the Book Awards Trust, the Michael King Writers Centre, the Academy of Literature, the um, Tautai Pacific Arts Trust, the Auckland Writers Festival, and trying to get more people on, as well as NZSA, to actually have a collective voice. Um, but also what we're doing is actually preparing um, election year manifestos that our members can take out so that when they go to a meeting where somebody's speaking, they can actually challenge them on some of these really important issues and, and let them know that, you know, it's bizarre because overall I would say that the arts sector is probably um, more kind of liberally minded as opposed to conservative. And yet I have not met anybody since I've been in this job who's just not deeply infuriated and frustrated at the way things are going. So, so I think that um, there will be a lot of very testy people out there over the election period actually asking some very hard questions and we'll be encouraging that. Excellent okay um, who wants to go next? I'm next and I must say I am so super excited about the changes that you've been making in the NZSA especially this distribution deal that you're doing for uh, indie authors. It's one of the hardest things to manage in New Zealand is to get your books into bricks and mortar stores. So I yeah. really like this. This is a clear sign that you guys are making a big change and I'm really happy about it. So you want to tell us a little bit about this deal that you uh, just managed to kind of sure. put forward? Sure, and, and actually, I, have, I mean, I know about it, but I don't know the details, so I did have to ask somebody. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's a really new thing. So they, we've signed this agreement with the um, Publishers Distributed Limited. Um, and so twice a, year, twice a month, no, every two months, sorry, um, we'll put out a list um, of books that are independently published, but they will go through a um, selection process. So they have to, they'll, you know, to make sure that when we do um, put them out there, that they're kind of highest quality, um, which I think any, everybody should be yeah. to anyway, you know, yeah. and that's what they're doing. Um, and so, so they will be um, through through that. They will be um, distributed. They'll be promoted. There'll be um, the, the authors will get paid through the society, so that there'll be a, it's 
it's almost like having your own personal agent in a way. Yes, so the yes. distributors will go around and sell your book. So it's really exciting and very cool. Yeah, very cool. Like I said, it's very hard to actually get to that point where you can get into the bricks and mortars. A lot of the times you're literally knocking on the doors of the, the bookstores and say, hey, can you take my books? So this uh, kind of collegiality of it, loving that. Um, yeah. so I mean, things have changed so much. You know, um, I, I've been writing you know, fairly seriously now for about 25 years. And, and, and digital publishing was just starting then. But still, if you published yourself, you, you were just treated so appallingly. Yeah. But, you know, in the, in, in the last few years, it's just taken off. And in fact, it, it's people who are independently publishing who are making any money and having, having the real success. So we'd be mad not to, you know, be supporting yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, I hate to go back to some glo uh, doom and gloom, but um, I've noticed there's been a, a big trend in a lot of the universities closing down their arts programs, including creative writing and things like that. It's very disturbing, like, to, to what it'll do to the creative arts by taking out that uh, formal education. So what, what do you think is going to happen in the future to, to all of that? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I'm one of those people. I worked for, for Fitty there in the creative writing program for 10 years and was made redundant at Christmas. Yeah. Um, and so I honestly don't know. It's another thing that just deeply depresses me. I think it comes from... Um, nine years of hardcore neoliberal kind of economic thinking, which, which is about seeing education, um, not as education, in fact, but as vocational training for people yeah. for the work mill. Um, and so they just cannot equate how somebody could learn creative writing and that could be a useful skill. Um, and I actually wrote a, if people go to my website, I wrote a really huge essay about this a couple of years ago about the politics of arts education, because it is true all over the world. Yeah. That's what's been going on. And, and it's, it kind of feeds back into the doom and gloom because it's the creative thinkers that are the ones that are actually going to get us out of this horrendous mess that we're in. And if we don't have people who are able to think creatively and outside the box, we really are buggered. So it's extremely short-term thinking. But in terms of what there is available for people now, it's, it's getting really dire. Um, I have yeah. people absolutely every week contacted me and saying where do I go to you know to learn something now and I, I have no answers yeah google I suppose <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's sad that that's where it's going to that we're having to um find our own education and these gaps and things like that when a lot of us really want to kind of go down the formal education path yeah, yeah. Um, we, we've been doing a lot of talking in, in the NZSA board re recently and we're going to actually we're about to hopefully make some big changes to the kind of governance structure of NZSA. But one of the things that we really want to do is, um, at the moment we have a series of branches around the country, but they're enormous kind of areas, um, geographical areas. And so we're really keen to kind of tap into all the tiny groups that there are around the country mm -hmm. who are off doing their own thing. And also um, people who, who are too remote to actually get together but want to do something online. And our hope is that we can kind of form a, um, a, like an umbrella over those organisations and provide content and um, video 
um, writing workshops and things like that that people can get from us to use in their small regions, which might be a little bit helpful. So that oh, you yeah. can say, you know, we want to have six weeks of um, instruction and we would have something there available. So that's definitely something that we're planning to do. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'd definitely yeah. be on board then. Yeah. Um, and so like Nix, I was really interested to hear about the proposed distribution deal. And I have to admit, it's actually the first thing I've heard from the NZSA that would entice me to join. I'm wondering if you could tell me, are there any other hidden gems that having an NZSA membership offers? Heck yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're a, I don't know if you're a member or not. Do you? Are you not? Okay. So, um, so there, there's a heap. Um, and I think I have to say, number one actually is the lobbying, because it, it's kind of frustrating that we're out there lobby, lobbying to improve, you know, everybody's um, conditions and contracts and income and yet we still have writers who aren't members. To me, it's kind of like, it's our union, and you you know, you know, expect the union just to be there to have your back, and to actually um, to give them the clout to do the lobbying for you. So, so to me, that's enough reason that people should join to actually give us the kind of power Amen. of people. But um, <laughs> in terms of other stuff, we have, we have a huge amount of um, different um, programs that are available to people. So we've got a, um, a mentor program where people can apply and they can get 25 hours um, free mentoring from somebody who they choose um, to work on a big project. We have one where they can send in a writing sample and a synopsis and get um, feedback on that from a, from a really distinguished writer. There's a youth mentor program. You can um, send in a second or third draft and, and potentially get that assessed for free. We actually um, also run a number of um, different grants for other organisations. So we administer for the um, Museum Research Grant, the Beetson Fellowship, the Aston Wiley, um, published and unpublished manuscripts, the different um, copyright licensing, New Zealand Research Grants and their award. I mean, some of these are worth a lot of money. There's the um, Lillian Ida Smith Award, the Michael Gifton's Prize for an unpublished novel. That one's 10 grand and publishing by text in Australia. So, so these are pretty um, wonderful opportunities that members can um, tap into. There's also a fortnightly um, literary bulletin that goes out that gives you links to all these different things and links to interesting articles. There's a new books bulletin. So if you're Particularly if you're a self-publisher, it's another way of letting people know about your book. You can get it out that way. And then there's also um, the New Zealand Author, which I think comes out four times a year, which is more in-depth articles. And then there's the whole kind of community thing. So, you know, if you're near a branch, branches do workshops, they have speakers, they have panels. You can just get together and have a drink with people. And I think that, you know, writing is this weird, solitary thing that we all do in our in our own homes. And it's really nice to go and talk to other people that share your secret little obsession. And, and to me, I mean, that's why I joined. And to me, that's still a really important part because it is, you know, writing such a weird thing and you spend so much time inside your own head. And actually only other writers really understand that. 
And so it is really nice to get together with other people. And actually, and the other thing that we do, which is, is to do with that as well, is every two years we have a National Writers' Forum, which will be in Auckland um, this year in September. And, and that's amazing. You know, that's writers from all over the country in all different stages of their writing, doing all sorts of different writing, just getting together. There are workshops, there are discussions, there are debates. Um, it's, it's just really great to get together and see all the different writers and spend some time. So, so I would say give it a try um, because you will find way more benefit than you would probably expect. One of the reasons that I've been reluctant to join the NZSA is because I live in an area where there's not a lot of organised activities specifically for its members. So for people like myself, where there's not a lot going on, or perhaps they're in rural areas where they don't even have a local group to meet, how do you recommend people get the most out of their membership? Well, I think that, I think that people get a lot out of their membership by um, making use of the programmes there. But I think that also... I don't know what branch you're near, but it, it potentially um, the person who is running your branch would be able to link you up with other people in your area, which is this thing that we want to kind of build way more. But I think that people, um, I'm part of a, a women's writers Facebook group, for instance. So I think social media is really helpful for that. So you can kind of do it that way as well. Um, do they have... Um an online, uh, do you have like a, a, a members Facebook group? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. And I think that there are, there are also kind of branch Facebook groups all around the country as well, yeah. Interesting. So in closing, what have you personally found is the best thing about belonging to the NZSA? And I'm going to guess from what you were saying earlier that it's the meeting other like-minded people <laughs> and the, the networking and commu um, community. It is, and I'm not, I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't go to branch meetings because I live 40 minutes away from where they are, but, um, but I love kind of going to the National Writers' Forum. I love getting the information sent through to me so I feel connected with the writing world, and, and I do um, go along to the workshops and things if I think that they're interesting, and I'm just, you know, I don't think actually until I took this position, I realised how bloody lucky we are that we've had people lobbying for us for so long. I've just kind of, you know, accepted it. And when I look at it now and look at the history of the people that got the public lending rights deal for us and things like that, and I just think, you know, I would pay the money just for that. It's so important, particularly at the moment. It's kind of like my union fees, and that's, that's bottom line for me. That's what I think is important. That's yeah, an interesting way of looking at it, yeah. Mm. So, Mandy, uh, where can our listeners find you online? Um, I have a website, which is www.mandyhaga.com. I, I have a Facebook page, which is um, Mandy Haga Author. And I'm on Twitter, um, which sure. I'm a little bit too. Excellent. And can you give us the um, NZSA website? Because it's not what people would assume necessarily. Oh, hold on. I'll have to search for that. Um, it is authors.org.nz. Thank you.